Welcome to Educate, Caring Activists, Teachers for Equity, the podcast about all things education and equity. I'm Jennifer Martin from the University of Illinois at Springfield. This is episode 10, Prognosticate, Rogerian Praxis. The only person who is educated is the one who has learned how to learn and change. Carl Rogers. Our guest today in the studio is Dr. Denise Bachmeyer-Summers. Dr. Bachmeyer-Summers is an associate professor at the University of Illinois Springfield, where she teaches the online social services administration concentration in the human services department. Dr. Bachmeyer-Summers has accrued over 25 years of rehabilitation counseling and evaluation, management, and supervisory experience in the human services arena. She obtained her bachelor's degree in human growth and development from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, her master's degree in rehabilitation at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, and her doctorate of education in counseling from the University of Missouri in St. Louis. Her research focuses on the use of service learning in online classes, the development of multicultural competencies in human services training, and the use of empathy, genuineness, and high regard to enhance engagement and success in online teaching and learning. Welcome, my friend. Good to be here, Jen. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about Carl Rogers. Much of our audience are pre-service and in-service teachers, and I Mm -hmm. feel like Carl Rogers is on the periphery of some of the things that we read in education, but we don't know that much about him. Can you tell us a little bit about Carl Rogers and his background and why we should care about him as teachers? Well, Carl Rogers really developed, I think, what can be used as maybe a core practice in developing online classes, which is, and doing other teaching, which is the use of empathy, genuineness, and unconditional positive regard. Sometimes I also say high regard. And I think it forms the foundation of a viable interactive class, whether you're online or on ground. So these three, what would you call them? Conditions. These three conditions are Rogerian or developed by Rogers? They are developed by Rogers. And part of his theory is based in counseling theory, which is what he originally developed person-centered therapy around. The theory goes that if you create a safe space through using empathy, high regard, and genuineness, people are going to be more willing to open up. In, a, in for example, a counseling situation, people are, are going to begin to feel safe. They're going to talk more. They really begin to lead the progress of and the direction of psychotherapy. And how does that then relate to education and teaching? Well, It relates to education and teaching because students, I believe, have to feel safe to really interact with the teacher, interact with their peers, 
and some of them have some really difficult material to disclose. And there are, are difficult issues also going on, which the empathy, genuineness, and high regard serves that type of situation. Let's break these three concepts down. Can you talk about empathy and why it's important for a teacher to show empathy toward their students? And how do they, what, what behaviors show that to their students? Well, empathy is basically um, showing the student that you care about them, that you can see the world through their eyes. And that's really the bottom line there. How do you, sh- how do, you do that? You do that by reflection, by uh, either paraphrasing or... Uh, basically repeating what they're saying without repeating it verbatim. So you would reflect if you if a student said, uh, teacher, I cut myself, instead of saying, oh, I'll go over there and get a Band-Aid, you would say, um, oh, that's really too bad. Does that hurt? Um, let's see what we can get to help you feel better. That would be a classic example of using empathy that's good so um and now what if we have a troubled student who is let's say exhibiting rude behavior um and disengaged behavior toward the teacher how would you show empathy in that case because it's it's easy to do when the situation's easy but it's hard and we have to be the bigger people right as the teachers so what if it's a situation that makes us angry how then do we show empathy in that case well first of all you have to deal with your own anger and step back from it and be able to put it to the side it can't rule and it can't infiltrate how you're reacting and working with that student probably part of what that student is thinking is this isn't going to be any different i'm disengaged and why should I be involved with my teacher when I know that she's just going to shut me down too? Because they've maybe had previous negative experiences right. in other classes. All their, you know, a lot of their experiences are probably that way. So the teacher uh, might say something like, I see that um, you're quiet today. Can you tell me a little bit about your interest or how we can work together so that you'll feel comfortable to talk. That's that's one thing I would use. So in other words, at first, the important thing to do is acknowledge what that student, how that student is behaving, so that if they're quiet and withdrawn, you acknowledge that. You respect that in them. And you are able to say, you know, I understand how you might feel that way. I'm sure you've had other people who have let you down. And, you know, I just want to be here for you. So when you're ready to talk, let me know. When you're ready to engage in the the work material today, let me know. But the main, the main thing uh, is for you to feel better and for you to feel like you're part of this class. Because my guess is that student doesn't feel a part of anything. Will you be my teacher? (laughs) (laughs) I would love to be, Jen. Thank you.
So that was empathy. Right. What's the second condition? Genuineness. Be yourself within constraints of which I would say would be kind, be generous, not financially, but with your time, your patience, and your attention. But students usually know if somebody's faking it. What does that look like, faking it? Well, um, saying uh, that you care with them with your, you know, clenched teeth and a, a stiff jaw and uh, maybe a loud voice. They'll know that, that you probably don't care quite as much as you, that you think you might. Mm-hmm. So when you say be yourself, does that mean sharing who you are with the students? Yes, within good boundaries. I mean, yes. you don't want to... Be inappropriate. Be inappropriate. You want to think about how... Um, I think think about your... I think you have to know yourself, first of all, and uh, know what you like, what your dislikes are. Be willing to share little parts of your life without becoming the center of attention. Mm. And that's that can be tricky, how to disclose without becoming the right. center of attention. And I would think that acknowledging when you're wrong or that when you've made a mistake as that's, the teacher that's a real is, good is example. a part of it, right? Yeah, that's really good Okay, to, to acknowledge that. Now, what about the third condition? The third condition is unconditional positive regard which frightens a lot of people it i'm wondering what the heck that means what does it mean (laughs) (laughs) well it frightens people when they hear it said why does it why does it frighten people well i have heard people say well i'm not going to have a relationship with this student or i can't be unconditionally i have to give grades so there are conditions in the classroom. And I think within the parameters of what's reasonable in your classroom, you still have to grade papers. You still have to grade the child's work. And I think you can do that even in a, with, and demonstrate an unconditional positive regard so that you let the child knows, know, for example, on a paper what they may have done not so good at and then be able to tell them uh, what they've also done right so I talk about as far as uh, unconditional positive regard goes it's easier to give people feedback because I think it really comes out in how you give feedback to students so you can say something that they did real well Instead of starting off with, well, you really didn't use proper grammar or you, your answers to, to the number problems were incorrect. Instead of starting out that way, start out with, well, Johnny, you did a really nice job of really uh, defining this term. Now, I want you to, to also look at this aspect of the term, and that's why I took points. But I know you can do it. I have faith in your ability to do it. And that whole thing of having faith in the person, I think one of the basics of Rogers is that you believe in that people are good. That's a basic belief. You have to start there. 
I believe people are good, and every kid in my classroom wants to be good in some way, shape, or form. So you're, it's your job to spot that when you see it and compliment them or acknowledge what they're doing that is is positive. And I think there are so many opportunities in a classroom to do that, to acknowledge when Johnny's doing something uh, constructive and is beginning to interact with the class. And sometimes I think... It might be easier if the other students begin to be that unconditional positive regard giver versus the teacher. I think that's, that may help the teacher move into that child's world a little quicker by allowing the students to help Johnny and help him become engaged in the classroom. What does that look like? How would you inspire the other students to help that student along? Well, I do that in my graduate classes quite a bit. I would rather a good answer come from another student than necessarily from me. I think you start out by not setting yourself up as the expert and that child as an empty vessel that you have to fill up. Instead, you assume that their vessel's already full. I love this response. It's reminding me of two things. It's reminding me of the theory of funds of knowledge, and it's reminding me of Paulo Freire's banking concept of education. And so those of you who aren't familiar with Freire, you should be. Pedagogy of the Oppressed is a great book that you should read, but the banking concept of education is essentially where people believe that students are empty vessels, and the teacher pours knowledge into the heads of the students. So it's, it's one-way learning. And we would prefer that students and teachers learn together as a joint proposition. Yes, yes. And students come to school with funds of knowledge, with a wealth of knowledge about their language, their culture, their neighborhood, their families. And bringing these aspects into the schoolroom and connecting with mm -hmm. students with other students and students with the teacher is really crucial. Would you say Carl Rogers would agree with that? Absolutely. In fact, Rogers, at the end, kind of the latter third of his life, latter uh, quarter of his life, he got into it more and more into education. He um, really talked about how to bring Rogers into the classroom. There's a, a good book called Freedom to Learn. It's an old book. It, it was uh, revised in the 80s, and that would be a really good text to kind of take a look at and see what he means by that. Thank you. We'll put that in the, the mm -hmm. show notes. Mm -hmm. What was Roger's lifespan? He uh, lived for 85 years. When was he born? January 8th of 1902. Wow. Did he have any contemporaries or was anyone associated with him in, in his school well, of thought? No. Not or what were his influences or who did he influence? Well, he influenced uh, uh, the whole field of counseling, for example. I was talking to you before we got started about a teacher I had that really believed in Rogers and believed in the power of his therapy and 
uh, counseling techniques. Actually, he's not as much into techniques as he's into that basic foundation of empathy, genuineness, and high regard. He really created humanistic psychology. He was a psychologist. And prior to that, um, there was a period of time when Freud was, was kind of the way to go. It's, it transitioned to behavioral modification with Skinner. And then Rogers then just thought it wasn't adequate to really talk about the human being. And he, again, had such a profound belief that people are basically good. And he started there. So if you start out with your kids being basically good and you partner with them, like you were talking, and get get students to partner with each other too, I think you'll have much better results. And I think that the students and and really your ability to listen to them can really inform your teaching tremendously. Uh, I think you'll have better results in your classroom as well. So it's like you have to have a caring heart, basically, uh, as far as Rogers is concerned. And you have to believe that your students are basically good and that they want to be there and participate. Thank you. Is there anything else that you want to add about Carl Rogers in terms of what teachers should know about his foundational theories? Well, there's another aspect of Rogers' theory that that doesn't necessarily get talked about that much. Aside from being people are good, he also believed that people were constantly moving towards self-actualization or becoming more of who they are. Rogers had a belief that your outsides need to match your insides. So whenever a, a person comes into contact with you, uh, whether that's in therapy or a classroom, graduate school for that matter too, the theory is they are becoming, they are continue to become more of themselves. When they come to you, they are incongruent. They are out of alignment between their real self and their ideal self. So part of what the therapist does is by not asking a lot of questions, but basically mirroring what they're saying, paraphrasing, or repeating it back to them. And I've seen this happen over and over in therapy. So what they're coming to you for is to begin to feel more consistent uh, within themselves. And you do that by reflection, like I said, and you also do that by creating a safe space for them to explore their feelings. A lot of times people who come into a therapeutic setting will want you to fix them. And it's very tempting because it's real easy to give advice. But it's so important that they find the solutions within themselves. And I think that's true for students as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, how does that apply to education? How does a teacher navigate all of that with 30 students in a classroom? Well, I think, first of all, by being her, her, his or herself to, for, to start out. And showing, uh, I think you have to listen a lot. 
more than anything else. Listen and listen in a way that it tells you what might be going on behind what you're just what you're hearing. There's a feeling there. For example, I hate playing dodgeball. Well, yeah, you hate playing dodgeball, but we have to do it. But I don't like getting hit and it hurts and I'm afraid I'm going to be hurt and I'm I don't like people ganging up on me like that. You've learned a lot about that student, you know, a whole lot about that student. So maybe you can find an alternative route for them to go or maybe a different game that isn't as aggressive. One thing I like to do is create assignments that are discussion that makes people interact with each other. You know, Socratic questioning. Can you explain your use of Socratic questioning for our novice listeners? Socratic questioning is asking questions, I think, that gets behind the material, like, and that helps students go deeper and deeper in the material. If, for example, they're looking at a chart or something that involves data, statistics, or something like that. So how does that apply to your nonprofit agency? Or how would you use this data to figure out policy in your nonprofit agency? And that's on a a graduate level. To me, Socratic questioning not only helps students move deeper into the material, but it also helps them apply what they're learning. Do you want to say anything more about how Carl Rogers influenced the field of education? You have to start out being a kind person, or at least always be moving toward that. I think Carl Rogers, you know, his practice, his the way he creates a safe classroom is kind, being kind to people. I think that if you start there, I think that's going to be a lot easier on your students, and it'll be easy to go from there to using the three conditions. And let's just take a moment to differentiate between the word kind and the word nice. So when when we say kindness, we don't mean we don't have expectations for students. When we say kindness, we don't say that we're having high expectations right. and we're holding students accountable for their for their academics and behaviors. We certainly are. But when we say kindness, we actually mean... Again, finding good in people and being able to point out what they're doing right instead of always looking at glass half empty. Look at, hey, the glass is already full. We just have to highlight it for the students. And what might that individual student need from you to become more self-actualized? Can you recommend a primer on Carl Rogers? Yes. One of his early books on becoming a person. And it's a, it's a nice book of explaining what um, Rogers was all about. How have you been personally influenced by the work of Carl Rogers? I really have worked to become a kinder person. And to use compassion and empathy um, has been a goal that I've had for a long time. And I have kindness written under my license plate. 
Yes, you do. <laughs> and I really believe that. It's sort of a manifestation of what I try to be when I'm dealing with people, uh, is first be kind. Above everything else, be kind. And it doesn't mean that I lay down and let people walk over me, because nice. I don't. Until you prove otherwise, it's like thinking the best of what people are, or say or do. And thinking, like I said, thinking the best of them. I understand that Rogers worked for the course of peace throughout his life. Can you tell us about this and how his work is relevant today? Or maybe necessary today? He was big into trying to use person-centered therapy or person-centered principles and tenets to do conflict management. You have taught me a lot about the work of Carl Rogers, and you and I recently worked together on a project, a book chapter, and a theoretical model based upon what you taught me about Carl Rogers. Do you want to speak about that a little bit? We were really looking to figure out how to have these difficult discussions around the isms, race, LGBTQ, you know, ableism, some of the isms that uh, homophobia, some of the isms that occur in our society. And these conversations are sometimes difficult to have in a classroom because people don't really know about disclosing about how they feel about things because if they say anything counter to being a, more fair-minded and not as sexist or as racist and so on and so forth but if they make those kind of any of those kind of statements in the class they're going to get hammered i think people are afraid to speak up sometimes because a classic example is growing up in a real small town and not having any visual diversity that you you can spot like i grew up in a town that had no african-american people in it so it was a shock when i came to uiuc and that culture was was there at the campus and we were in a real volatile stage when i was at uiuc we were still not far off of the, from the 60s and all the um racial tensions that occurred and you know martin luther king trying to advocate for equal rights for african-american people that was a tough time so i would have been afraid to at that point to say anything about my concern or my fear to um, anybody because I wouldn't, I felt like I would, you know, be um, put in an out group that didn't understand racism and those constructs. And a lot of our students are from small rural communities. And in order to have a conversation that um, is respectful, um, I think you can create a safe classroom by using empathy, genuineness, and unconditional positive regard as, again, a base from which to operate from. So 
So when you were telling the story about growing up in the small town, this is something that you disclosed in our paper that you shared with students. So you shared your own vulnerability in a right. sense and, and how you grew from that experience in a way to make students also feel comfortable enough to disclose. Right, right. And that's a, that's a kind of disclosure and, and the teacher being themselves that we've talked about earlier. So being ourselves, admitting when we're wrong, right? sharing our growth from our own mistakes and challenges. And our vulnerabilities as it is appropriate. Do you want to share anything else about our work? So we developed a, a triangle kind of a model. And we had we started out with the three Carl's three conditions and moved inward until we got to uh, people being willing to share with the goal of inspiring social teachers to work yeah, for critical social justice. social justice. Right? How do we build learning culture? What is a learning culture, and how do we begin to build a learning culture in our classroom? I think a learning culture is one where people want to be become lifelong learners. That's really critical for people in um, in terms of building a learning culture. So this when could I, be a this could be a classroom where everybody is engaged and excited about learning a particular thing or right. subject. I think the the learning culture. First of all, you ask thought provoking questions. Second, you affirm when somebody says something that is really getting at the core of the material you're trying to teach. You affirm that. I've had student after student say, you know, I learned so much from John B. because he uh, really explained to me what this concept was, and he did it in a way that I understood it. I think it would be really easy for some new teachers to be a little offended that they learned something so well from another student, but it's our job to acknowledge that and to support that kind of learning well the most effective way in which to learn something is to teach it to other people right mm -hmm. exactly okay so you are in the human services field which is a bit peripheral to the field of education which i'm in what advice do you have for future teachers for for students who are currently studying to become teachers well, first of all, I think meet them where they're at. I mean, you hear that over and over again, probably. Meet your students where they are? Mm-hmm. That's really important. And you do that by listening. You have to know where they're at before you meet them. And, you know, listening real closely to them. A lot of people like to talk about themselves. So if they're talking about a personal story, then say, wow, you know, that that's really interesting. How did you do this, this, and this? Just take it a step further in your questions. It has to be foundational, I think, that you use empathy, high regard, and genuineness. And if you put those together, basically, I think that that kind of, if you want to use a, a bigger word, compassion and kindness. You brought it back around to Carl Rogers. I like that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Well, he really drives what I do. When you get to the point where you look forward to waking up every day to go do what we do as teachers. When is that going to happen? I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it happens all the time for me. <laughs> and I think, you know, a lot of, sometimes teachers want to be the tough guy. 
Mm. Well, so-and-so has to do this, this, and this. That's mm-hmm. how they learn. That's how I've had so many, so many of my, not a lot of students, but every now and then I get a student who says, well, they're going to respect me. They're going to learn to respect me. And that's not the way you get respect. It's like respect yourself and show that and respect others. And, yeah, you'll get that back. Thank you so much for being a guest today on the podcast. You're welcome. It's I been really, a pleasure. I, I always enjoy talking with you. Well, we'll have you back soon. All right. We are Educate, Caring Activist Teachers for Equity. Educate would like to thank the following for their support of this broadcast. The University of Illinois at Springfield, UIS. The College of Education and Human Services at UIS the Department of Teacher Education at UIS, the Center for Online Learning, Research, and Service at UIS. And a very special thanks goes to our sound editor and designer, Emily Bowles, Online Learning and Faculty Development Specialist at Colors, Center for Online Learning, Research, and Service at UIS. I'm Jennifer Martin. Remember, always err on the side of awesome.